Hello, my Mosos and Project Managers. Welcome to MMA2. We took a look at the models previously. Today, we're taking a look at methods. This is all about PMBOK Guide 7th edition. It's going to go very rapidly. We're going to take a look at all of the methods talked about on page 174 forward. In the last episode, we talked about all of the models. So let's jump into them one by one. The very first one is alternatives analysis, and this is looking for alternatives to tackle a problem or situation. The next one is assumption and constraint analysis, and it's analyzing assumptions and constraints for completeness to better understand them and the effect on the project. The next one is benchmarking. Benchmarking is using a previous project, or it could be an organization or process from a similar company or your company as a basis for improvement or achieving a certain standard. Next one is business justification analysis. These analyses methods are associated with authorizing or justifying a project or a decision. Some of the ones you're more familiar with are payback period, IRR, internal rate of return, return on investment, net present value, and cost-benefit analysis. Now, while these are not explicitly tested on the exam anymore, they used to be. And understanding them at a high level is helpful. So for payback period, the shorter, the better. For internal rate of return, the higher, the better. For return on investment, the higher, the better. Net present value, if it is positive, that shows you could gain something from the investment or the project. If it's negative, that shows you would lose, so don't do it. If it's right on point zero, then there needs to be a greater reason for pursuing the opportunity. And cost-benefit analysis is the ratio of benefits or revenue to cost. Again, the higher, the better. So we've talked about payback period, internal rate of return, return on investment, net present value, benefit-cost ratio, also called cost-benefit analysis, uh, same thing. Now, note of caution, as you read through the table in the PMBOK Guide 6th edition where everything is summarized, if you follow me to page 182, you see a tiny little discrepancy in the terms used. But we know that benefit-cost ratio, cost-benefit ratio, the same thing, right? But page 182 listed as cost-benefit ratio. If you take a look at page 175, it's listed as cost-benefit analysis, but same thing. Next one is check sheet. A check sheet is a tally sheet that can be used as a checklist. So it performs two tasks. One, you use a check sheet to check off on what you're inspecting. And two, you use the check sheet to record data. Next one is cost of quality, known as COQ. It's the cost of quality that is incurred throughout the life of the product by investing in prevention costs and appraisal costs. The next one is decision tree analysis. Decision tree analysis is a diagramming technique used to explore and understand options and opportunities. Decision trees use information generated from expected monetary value to populate branches of the decision tree. Used to be big on the exam, not so much anymore. The next one is earned value analysis. Earned value analysis is a method that uses a set of measures 
associated with scope, schedule, and cost to determine cost and schedule performance. Breaking these down a little bit further, we talk about SPI, Schedule Performance Index, CPI, Cost Performance Index, SV, Schedule Variance, and CV, Cost Variance. These are important for your exam, so do endeavor to know them. Next one is expected monetary value, which I just talked about. EMV has a simple formula. It's probability times impact. Probability of occurrence of that risk times its impact, usually in currency form. Next one is forecasting. Forecasting is an estimate or prediction of the project based on current events, based on what is happening now. Next one is influence diagram. This diagram is a graphical representation of situations showing causal influencing, time ordering of events, and other relationships. To get a good idea of what this looks like, I would advise going over to Wikipedia and taking a look at an influence diagram. Otherwise, it just becomes text. So let's take a look at what an influence diagram looks like. And here on the screen, you can see an example of an influence diagram. If you take a closer look, there's one decision node, and that is the vacation activity. There are two uncertainty nodes, as they are referred to here, the weather condition and the weather forecast. And there are two functional arcs ending in satisfaction. That is enough of an example, because to be quite honest, this is not a hot topic on the exam. So let's move on to the next thing on the list. Next on the list, we have life cycle assessment. This assessment is a tool used to evaluate the total environmental impact of a product, process, or system. It includes all aspects of producing a project deliverable, from the origin of materials used in the deliverable to its distribution and ultimate disposal. Next one is a make or buy analysis. It's a simple analysis of whether you can make something yourself as the performing organization or whether you need to buy it. In that case, you become a requesting organization. So it's the process of gathering and organizing data about product requirements, assessing and analyzing if you can make that thing all by yourself or whether you need additional assistance, either services or sub-deliverables. Next one is probability and impact matrix. Probability and impact matrix is a grid for mapping the probability of occurrence of a risk and its impact, and it's often referred to as a P times I matrix. The next one is a process analysis. This is an analysis of a process looking for steps and procedures that could do with some improvement or not, and just analyzing, is this process working or is it not? The PMI call it a systematic review of steps and procedures to perform an activity. When you carry out a process analysis, most times you're looking to see if there are opportunities for improvement or if the process should remain as is. Next, we have regression analysis. A regression analysis is an analytical technique where a series of input variables are examined in relation to their corresponding outputs in order to develop a mathematical or statistical relationship. Now, the short version of a regression analysis is it's an analysis to better understand why we got the results we did, whether the results are good or bad. Root cause analysis examines a situation or problem looking for the root cause of that problem. Moving on, we have 
sensitivity analysis. And sensitivity analysis is a technique used to determine which individual project risks or sources of uncertainty have the most potential impact on project outcomes. And we could say which risks are the most sensitive on the project. Moving along, we have one that was omitted from the general table where everything appears on page 182. And I've inserted it after sensitivity analysis. This is reserve analysis. Reserve analysis is looking to understand reserves that have been assigned to a task. It's the analytical technique used to evaluate the amount of risk on the project and the amount of schedule and budget reserve to determine whether the reserve is sufficient for the remaining risk. After reserve analysis, we have simulation. And simulation is an analytical technique that uses models to show the combined effect of uncertainties on the project. It runs several different situations using a computerized algorithm, a computer model to develop a probability distribution of a range of outcomes. So in other words, through the simulation, you understand what the likelihood of getting to your budget goal or schedule goal could be. Next one is stakeholder analysis. This technique involves systematically gathering and analyzing quantitative and qualitative information about stakeholders to determine whose interests should be taken into account through the project. One of the ways we do this is by using things such as a power interest grid and influence impact grid and so on. Next, we have SWOT analysis. SWOT stands for Strength, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. A SWOT analysis assesses the strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of an organization, a project, or an option. Next one is trend analysis. And a trend analysis uses mathematical models to forecast future outcomes based on historical results. Next one is value stream mapping. It's a lean enterprise method used to document, analyze, and improve the flow of information or materials required to produce a product, service, or result for a customer. Next one is variance analysis. And this is used to determine the cause and degree of difference between the baseline and actual performance. When we talk about baseline and actual performance, we could look at a scope baseline, a scope baseline, a cost baseline, or a schedule baseline. Next one is what if scenario analysis. This analytical technique evaluates scenarios in order to understand the effect on project objectives. In other words, what if this happens, what will the results be? And that concludes the data and analysis methods. Let's move on to the next set of methods, which is estimated methods. You can find these from page 178. So the very first one here is affinity grouping. Affinity grouping is grouping together things of like nature. It involves classifying items into similar categories or collections based on their likeness. Common affinity groupings include t-shirt sizing and Fibonacci numbers, but that's not the only place you can use the affinity grouping approach. You could use an affinity diagram by looking for areas of improvement and grouping those areas of improvement or looking for problems and grouping those problems. 
as far as errors are concerned. The next one is analogous estimating. Analogous estimating uses a previous project as an example to estimate a current project. It uses it as a basis using that historical data from a previous similar project or activity. Now, the only downside with analogous estimating is it is largely inaccurate. And it spans all the way from minus seven, minus 25 to plus 75% accuracy. So you want to be careful when you use it because it should be tweaked as you proceed uh, with more information becoming available. So right up front in the very early stages of an endeavor, it is okay to use an analogous estimate, but as time progresses, you should fine tune that estimate to be more precise. The next one is function point. A function point is an estimate of the amount of business functionality in an information system. Function points are used to calculate a functional size measurement of a software system. The next thing is multi-point estimating. The same way you can estimate using just one reference point, you can estimate using multiple reference points. Multi-point estimating assesses cost or duration by applying an average or weighted average of optimistic, pessimistic, and most likely estimates. So you might've heard of P plus O plus M divided by three or P plus four M plus O divided by six. The latter is an example of a weighted average because you're weighting the most likely estimate more than the other points. And that's multi-point estimating. The next one is parametric estimating. It uses an algorithm to calculate cost or duration based on historical data and project parameters. Key thing about parametric estimating is you're using that algorithm or computerized approach to calculate cost or duration. The next one is relative estimating. Relative estimating is used to create estimates that are derived from performing a comparison against a similar body of work, taking effort, complexity, and uncertainty into consideration. The next one is single point estimating. Like I said, you can estimate using a single point or you could estimate using multiple points. The downside about single point estimating is that it is not as reliable. Once it's off, it is entirely off. But if you use multiple points of reference, then you're less likely to go completely off. Story point estimating. Let's go to the next one. Story point estimating involves project team members assigning abstract but relative points of effort required to implement a user story. It tells the project team about the difficulty of the story considering complexity risks and effort involved. Now, you talk about story points, remember not to equate story points to days or hours or things like that. Story points are meant to be an abstract way of measuring by taking away the concept of duration and focusing more on the complexity needed to get the work done and the effort. The next one is wideband Delphi, also known as planning poker. That's really what most people know it as. It's a variation of the Delphi estimating method where subject matter experts complete multiple rounds of producing estimates individually with a project team discussion after each round. 
When we say Delphi technique, it means anonymous experts. But in many cases, the experts aren't anonymous. They just don't know what the other expert is doing. All right, going into meetings and events, the first thing we talk about here is backlog refinement. Backlog refinement ceremonies are typically held in the middle of a sprint and they're used to refine the backlog. The backlog should be progressively elaborated and reprioritized all throughout the sprint and beyond. And in the Scrum Guide, this is not a recognized ceremony or event, but a lot of organizations put time aside to do this. And it's just good practice. The Scrum Guide, however, does mention it, just doesn't recognize it as an event. The idea is that the product owner should be carrying out backlog refinement constantly with or without the team's help. The next thing is bidder conference. The bidder conference is a meeting with prospective sellers prior to the preparation of a bid or proposal to ensure that everyone is on the same page. The next one is a change control board. A change control board includes a group of people who are accountable for reviewing, evaluating, approving, delaying, or rejecting changes to the project. In other words, change request. The decisions made at this meeting are recorded and communicated to the appropriate stakeholders. The next thing is a daily stand-up. You may have heard about this in Scrum, a daily Scrum. Well, a daily stand-up, daily Scrum, whatever you want to call it, it's a collaboration sync-up meeting. The purpose is to sync up, and it reviews progress from the following day, from the previous day, and intentions for the following day or the current day. And it highlights any obstacles encountered or anticipated. Key thing about the daily stand-up is you do not want to use this as a problem-solving meeting. It is used to uncover problems, but the meeting is not for solving the problems. Problems are solved outside of the meeting. Next one is iteration review. Iteration review is just another name for sprint review. In the world of Scrum, we call it a sprint. In the world of Agile, broadly, we call it an iteration. So an iteration review is held at the end of an iteration to demonstrate the work that was accomplished during the iteration. This meeting may also be referred to as a sprint review. You may also hear it being called a demo. We don't want to relegate it just to a display of work. We want to use it productively to collect new data that may be of relevance to generate and collect new user stories if there's a need to do so as a result of the meeting. Okay, the next thing we have here is iteration planning, also known as sprint planning. An iteration planning meeting is used to clarify the details of the backlog items, acceptance criteria, and work effort required to meet an upcoming iteration commitment. The meeting may also be referred to as a sprint planning meeting. Now, in the world of Scrum, we call it sprint planning, but in the world of Agile, we could call it iteration planning. The next one is kickoff. We all know this one, hopefully. It's a meeting where we gather team members and other key stakeholders at the beginning of a project to formally set expectations. Now, depending on the size of the project, this may take place after initiating or it may take place after planning. Quoting from the Pembroke Guide 6th edition, the kickoff meeting on small projects occurs shortly after initiating. On large projects, the kickoff meeting takes place after planning within the executing process group processes. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is lessons learned. A lessons learned meeting is used to identify and share the knowledge gained during a project phase or iteration with a focus on improving project team performance. 
This meeting can address situations that could have been handled better in addition to good practices and situations that produce very favorable outcomes. I often tell people the difference between a lessons learned meeting and a retrospective is that the retrospective actively and intentionally looks for items of improvement to carry out as actionable items in the next sprint, the very next sprint. So doing a lessons learned at the end of the project, while it's not bad, is not as proactive as a retrospective at the end of each sprint. Next, we go into planning. A planning meeting is a meeting used to create, elaborate, or review a plan or plans and secure commitment for the plans. Next one is a project closeout meeting. A project closeout meeting is used to obtain final acceptance of the deliverables, the delivered scope from the sponsor, product owner, or client. This meeting indicates that the product delivery is complete. Next one is a project review. Project review meeting is an event at the end of a phase or project to assess the status, evaluate the value delivered, and determine if the project is ready to move to the next phase. Next thing here is release planning. Release planning meetings identify a high-level plan for releasing a product deliverable or incremental value. Next one is a retrospective, which I've talked about previously. It's a regularly occurring meeting in which participants explore their work and their results in order to improve both process and product. Retrospectives are a form of a lessons learned meeting, the PMI say, but it takes it to the next level by getting those actionable items. The next one is a risk review. It's a meeting to analyze the status of existing risks and identify new risks. Status meeting. A status meeting is a regularly scheduled event to exchange and analyze information about the current progress of the project and its performance. Next one is steering committee. It's a meeting where senior stakeholders provide direction and support to the project team and make decisions outside of the project team's authority. So now we're done talking about meetings and events. We're going to the final section. And the final section is called Other Methods. And the first thing we have here is Impact Mapping. Impact Mapping is a strategic planning method that serves as a visual roadmap for the organization during product development. Next one here is modeling. Modeling is a process of creating simplified representations of systems, solutions, or deliverables such as prototypes, diagrams, or storyboards. Modeling can facilitate further analysis by identifying gaps in information, areas of miscommunication, or additional requirements. The next one is a net promoter score. It's an index that measures the willingness of a customer to recommend an organization to others. Next one is prioritization schema. Prioritization schema are methods used to prioritize portfolio, program, or project components, as well as requirements, risks, features, or other product information. Examples include a multi-criteria weighted analysis. In other words, taking a look at multi-criteria and weighting those criteria when trying to make a decision about prioritization Another one is the Moscow approach, must, must have, should have, could have, and won't have. Some people substitute that with would like. We also have the Cano approach, which is not talked about here. 
but those are examples of prioritization schema. Final one is time box. Time box is a short fixed period of time in which work is to be completed, such as one week, two weeks, or one month. Over the past number of minutes, we've been going over methods. Bear in mind that the PMBOK Guide 7th edition also breaks down these methods across domains. In my mind, the most useful way of uh, applying this information to your exam is to really understand the concepts, what they are, and what you are doing as a project manager when you use these either methods, models, or artifacts. And that's why I call it MMA, Models, Methods, Artifacts. Okay, and today we were focused solely on methods. In the other episodes, we have already covered the models and all of the artifacts, every single one. So this is the third and final in a series of three, where we have looked at every single model, method, and artifact in the entire PMBOK Guide 7th edition. I hope you found this to be useful. Don't forget, there are other videos where I have covered other information in the PMBOK Guide 7th edition. I hope this better prepares you for your PMP exam. All the very best, and bye for now.